But look at these two, these young people back there serving. I, I, I love that. I love to see that. All right, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you guys were at the, um, the marriage retreat a few weeks ago, you saw that um, I had the opportunity to sing with my dad. And uh, it was the first time that we'd ever sung together. And uh, my mom was there, and she, of course, recorded the whole thing. And she posted it to Facebook later that day. And uh, she got a message from my pastor in West Virginia, the church that I grew up in. And uh, he, told, he, he told my mom, he said, Man, I never knew that, that Daniel could sing. Uh, you know, why didn't he ever sing when he was here? You know, as a kid, him and his dad, why didn't they ever sing? And, of course, my mom told him it was because he was always so nervous. You know, he was always just so worried and anxious all the time. And it was hard for him to get up in, in front of anyone to do anything. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was, that, that was how I was growing up as a kid, really still am, you know, introvert. And even this, you know, standing up in front of a, a crowd is uncomfortable. Uh, that carried on over into uh, my teenage years. I remember being so excited to uh, get into the youth group. And believe it or not, we have almost a teenager in our house. Uh, Landon, he'll be a teenager this year. And he's excited to move up into the youth group this year. But one of the things that I was excited about was that I could finally go on a missions trip uh, with our church. And But uh, thinking about going on a missions trip, there was a part of me that didn't want to go because I knew that at the end of the trip, I would have to get up in front of the church and give a testimony. And I just remember being so afraid to do that. And it almost caused me not to go on the trip. And just so anxious about about everything, uh, and that even carried on until I was in my older teenage years, when I believed that the Lord was uh, dealing with me about going into what we call occupational ministry, uh, just serving the Lord full, in a full time way uh, and preaching. Uh, my pastor there in West Virginia gave me the opportunity to preach, uh, and I'm thankful for that. When I was 18 years old, I preached my first message. But guess where I was five minutes before uh, the sermon? I was in the bathroom throwing up. <laughs> I, was so, I was so nervous. Uh, so I feel like I've gotten better. I'm not quite as nervous uh, now. But uh, I want to talk to you this morning about being anxious. Uh, how many of you have ever worried about something? It's all of us, right? I mean... We, we all tend to worry uh, and be anxious about things. The definition of worry is to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. You know, so we are not immune to uh, worry or being anxious as a Christian. Unfortunately, that is uh, something that we do deal with. We're all going to worry about something sooner or later. We're going to be uh, anxious about something. In fact, I would even say that uh, even today, uh, if we were honest with ourselves and transparent, uh, many of you have maybe even brought in some worries uh, today inside this building. And so I want to talk to you this morning about how do we respond to that? What is our response when 
life throws us a curveball when things don't maybe go as planned or how we think they should go. How do we, how, how do we respond to anxiousness and, and worry? And so I want to give you a four-step formula from the Word. And this is uh, what Paul gives us here in Philippians chapter 4. This is really God's way uh, for us to combat worry. Uh, so let's look at this uh, passage, uh, Philippians chapter 4. Beginning with verse 6, the Bible says this, Be careful for nothing. And by the way, uh, he says right here at the beginning, Be careful for nothing. In other words, you don't worry about anything. That be careful is, is uh, the same word for being anxious or being worried. So he's saying here, don't worry about anything. But he goes on and says, but pray about everything. Right? And prayer and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I want to give you this four-step formula, but first I want to set up uh, maybe the reason why we shouldn't worry. And this is what Paul says right out of the gate. Uh, number one, if you're taking notes, don't worry about anything. Okay, don't worry about anything. Notice what Paul didn't say. He didn't say don't worry or uh, don't be anxious about some things. I mean, that would have been easy, right? Uh, maybe you shouldn't be so concerned about certain things. No, Paul uses this inclusive word, nothing. Now, notice if, you're, if you see here in the text, notice what Paul starts with in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, so if, you, if you're in the habit of circling things in your Bible, uh, circle the beginning of verse 6. And draw a line, connect it with the beginning of verse 4. Because rejoicing in the Lord always is really another way to say, don't worry about anything. Uh, so before I talk about anxiety, I, I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, there are some people, I, I do believe, who suffer from anxiety and depression because of some chemical imbalance in your body. Okay, I do, I do realize that. Uh, I also believe that that's probably a smaller percentage than we might think. Uh, I do believe that people today are over-medicated and, you know, doctors are so quick to, uh, you know, give an analysis and, hey, t- you know, push these pills. And so I will say I, I do understand, I do recognize that there are people who struggle legitimately with uh, anxiety and depression. And that's not something to be taken lightly. But I also believe for a lot of us, that maybe don't have really the chemical imbalance, I, I know that there is a remedy in God's Word. And God's Word has the answer for us being anxious or worried. So what I want to talk about is that there's a difference between someone who is an anxiety-driven person. Uh, an anxiety-driven person is someone who's trying to control the world around them. They're trying to control their life. They're trying to uh, think of their life in a box. This is how I want my life to be, and I'm going to try to control my life so it, it, it works out the way I want it to. Uh, and as a result, what happens with that kind of thinking is you're anxious all the time because you're losing the grip. You're losing control over the life that you think you're controlling. And of course, we know as believers, uh, we're really not in control, are we? And so what happens is if you're this anxiety-driven person, you start to dehumanize people. Uh, you start to many times manipulate situations. You start to, to control people because you don't want to lose the grip on the life that you think you have. 
Now, one of the things about anxiety and an anxiety-driven person is that you always deal with some of these emotions. Okay, and these are just a few, but I want you to think about, about these. Okay, the word fear. Okay, now just think about your own life. Uh, depression. Overwhelming feelings. Exhaustion. Self-criticism. Despair. And, of course, uh, anxiety would be one of those. But you start to deal with these, these feelings of uncertainty all the time. And you can be exhausted from this. Now, when we think about the word worry, this is a very common thing today. Uh, in fact, one doctor did a study. He found out that what most people worry about is not even really something to worry about to begin with. Uh, here's what they found out uh, through their study. That 40% of what we worry about never happens. Okay, 40%. 30% are concerns from our past. 12% are needless worries in life. 10% are petty issues. And 8% of what we worry about are what we might say are legitimate concerns. Okay, so through this study, a secular study, they say that 92% of what we worry about in life is really just wasted energy. Uh, one doctor said that 100 diseases, get this, 100 diseases can actually be traced back to worry. Uh, and I, I think about Scripture, and I would say if anyone had reason to worry, uh, it would have been Jesus. Uh, you think about this. Think about the weight that was on the shoulders of Jesus. He had to take these 12 guys, okay, most of them unlearned fishermen, and uh, he had to take them and mold them into really a, a, a unit that would carry forth the gospel to the known world. He had to conform them to this mission that would mobilize the Great Commission. And, by the way, he only had three years to do it. Uh, so he has three years with these guys. They have to be the answer to the expansion of the gospel, not to mention that the devil was working in the midst of this group through the person of Judas, and so he had all these things against, uh, against him. He had a, a time constraint. Uh, in addition to that, the Pharisees and the scribes are questioning him at every turn. The Sadducees want, him, want to kill him. Really, his own family members think that he's out of his mind. Uh, so many people were against him. His hometown wants to get rid of him. And the crowds that followed him wanted him to perform miracle after miracle after miracle. And in addition to the, all of that, he had to carry out the perfect will of his father. Now, we understand you say, well, Jesus is God, and that's true. But he was also 100% man. Uh, he also dealt with things that we deal with. He was hungry. He was thirsty. You know, he got sick and his body hurt. Uh, he dealt with, with those things. Uh, but yet, when Jesus speaks the greatest sermon ever spoken, he devotes one of the largest sections of this sermon to, to worry. Matthew chapter 6, one of the largest sections. Listen to what he says here in verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment or clothing? So here's what he's saying. Don't worry about your job. Right? Don't worry about COVID. Don't worry about your retirement. 
Don't worry about the economy. Don't worry about the election. He says, don't worry about the state of this country. Don't worry about the the raising gas prices, inflation, all these things. Don't worry about your future. What's he saying here? God really is saying, listen, I got this. You don't have to worry about anything. Don't worry. See, that's what Jesus is, is showing us. The reason Jesus could get to a place where he wasn't worrying about anything is because he understood that Jesus was in control of everything. And in the garden, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, he says these words, not my will, but what? Thine be done. What's he doing here? It's a transfer of power. It's really a different lens to look through, right? That, that I, am, I am transferring this. I'm having a different perspective on life. God, it's not, it's not my will. It's, it's yours. You're in control. Uh, when he's dying on the cross, pastors have been giving these great messages on you know, the sayings of Jesus on the cross. And this is one of them. He says here, into whose hands? Into to whose hands? Into thy hands. I commit my spirit. I want you to write this down. Your anxiety is in direct connection to the control you think you have over the life you think you're living. Okay? Your anxiety is in direct connection to the control you think you have over the life you think you're living. And the longer I live as a Christian, the more I realize that God is in control of everything. And I can rest in that. You know, one of the most comforting doctrines to me is the doctrine of God's sovereignty. That He is sovereign. He is in control. That nothing happens outside of His control. Uh, And we know this to be true. That nothing takes God by surprise. You know, God's not up in heaven napping. he's He's not, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, God is completely in control. So here's the question that I have for you and really for me too. What, what do we have to worry about? What do we worry about? What are we worrying about? What, what keeps us up at night? When our minds wander, what are some of the things that we think about? I would say that most of what we uh, worry about hasn't happened and it probably never will. Most of the things we worry about is something that hap- is going to, you know, we're thinking about the future And really, we have no control over that. But the reality is that we're all going to face anxiety. We're going to face worry. So the question is, how how do we combat that? How do we deal with it when it comes into our life? And the answer is Paul's going to give us this fourfold strategy that we're going to look at here in a second. Now, back here in our passage, Philippians 4, at first glance, when we read this verse, it looks like all these words kind of mean the same. Uh, We see the word uh, prayer, supplication. Thanksgiving, requests. And at, at first glance, it does. It looks like it's, there are very familiar words and very similar words. Uh, but we're going to take a deep dive on each of these words. And if you'll hang with me, uh, I think that we're, we're going to learn something today. We're going to kind of see this passage in a fresh, uh, fresh way. So notice what he says. First of all, number one, don't worry about anything. Number two, pray about everything. Okay, Philippians 4, 6. Again, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Okay, and here's the fourfold strategy that I want to give to you. Okay, number one is that we would depend on God. 
Okay, here's the fourfold strategy. Depend on God. We need to be depending on Him. This word for prayer that He begins with, don't be anxious, don't be worried about anything but in prayer. You see it? That's not the traditional word that you think of for prayer. It's not like going uh, secluded into a closet somewhere alone and praying. Uh, the word prayer here is, is really deeper than that. In fact, this word prayer means this. It's an open receptivity to the working of God in the world. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that we are open and we are, are aware of God's handiwork in our life. That as we live our lives, as we go through life, we see God in everything. We see God working in different situations and different people. Uh, it's the same word for prayer that Paul uses in First Thessalonians 5.17. And many of us are familiar with this verse. The Bible says what? Pray without ceasing. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean that we go into a secluded closet somewhere and just pray nonstop? Pray continuously? Well, it's the same word for prayer in Romans 12, 12, when he says, be persistent in prayer. So how can we pray continuously? How can we pray cons- uh, persistently? Don't miss this. Th- this isn't being isolated in a closet, but this is an open posture toward God, looking for God's fingerprint in everything. So this is just an attitude of prayer where as I live my life, I'm looking for God in every situation. When things happen at home in my family, I'm, 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 my eyes are open, my heart is open. It's an open posture to, okay, what, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to teach me? What, what would you, how, how do you want me to disciple my wife and my kids in this moment? Uh, when we're at work, when we're dealing with a, 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 a difficult uh, coworker or, uh, you know, whatever, we're, we're looking for God in everything. We, we see his handiwork. We see him moving. So this is, this is us being aware of that. This is us looking for that and being open to that. So it's not isolation in a closet. It's really dependence in a culture. That we are depending on God. That's radically different. This open posture that's receptive to the working of God. Now, for me, that's, that's a game changer. I mean, we could stop there, and, and I, I feel like, man, that, that would be so helpful to think about prayer in that way. But Paul continues. Number two, he says that we are to acknowledge God. Okay, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Okay, the word supplication means begging or asking. So naturally, you know, we think that Paul is saying that in prayer, praying, begging, asking, uh, you know, he's just talking about really just the prayer again. But that's not it. That can't be it. Because in just a few words in this verse, he's going to talk about that. So what's he, uh, what's he saying? I don't believe Paul is being redundant here. I believe he's using the word supplication here. For It's not so much for, for what we ask, but why are we asking it? Okay, why are we asking? See, supplication is this idea that you have to admit that you can't fix your life. You have to, to come with this admittance before God that, God, there, there is something that I cannot fix. There is something that I cannot do. It's a humble acknowledgement that... If my life is going to work out for God's glory and for my good, God has to step in. Uh, I am totally powerless. And, and so before we even get to the place where we're going to ask God for something, we have to acknowledge this simple truth that we cannot do it by ourselves. 
We, we cannot. And, and it's, an infis, it's an insufficiency in our life without God. It's an acknowledgement of weakness. And I don't know about you, but sometimes admitting that is tough. It's tough sometimes to admit that we can't do it. And you may be sitting there saying, no, you know, I believe that, you know, I, I, I know I can't do it. And I know that God is all sufficient. Well, how many times have we ever had a problem and we have failed to pray about it? Right. We where this problem creeps up and it's almost like our natural instinct to, OK, I'm going to fix it. And we spend our energy and we do all the things that we can do to fix the problem. And then later on, we're like, I didn't even pray about it. It happens to me all the time. Like, I know to pray, but in the moment, I didn't even think to pray. And it's because really deep down, we, we are self-sufficient. Uh, but we have to come to this acknowledgement that we cannot do it uh, without God. You may be uh, thinking, and Eric, you alluded to this uh, in your song, that you sang, why would we even ask God anything to begin with? Why, and that is a great question. Why would we ask God for anything? Why would we pray? Because he already knows what we're going to ask. And uh, Jesus actually teaches that, and James does too, that, hey, God knows what you're going to pray before you ask. So why, why do we ask? And the answer is because our prayers, the answer to our prayers is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. So the purpose or, or the goal of prayer is not the answer to the prayer. Okay, I want you to get that. The, the purpose of prayer is not the answer to your prayer. It's the time spent with the person. I could illustrate it this way. Um, you know, there's kind of a running joke in our church that if a staff member asks you out to eat, what, what are we wanting to do? We're wanting to ask you something, right? We want something from you. And that's really not true, but it is funny. Uh, so it would be like, uh, let's say Jonathan, okay? We'll use him for an example. I'm going to ask Jonathan out to eat. Because deep down, okay, he doesn't know this, but my goal is I want something from Jonathan, right? I, I'm going to take him out to eat. I'm going to treat him to something nice because I want him to do something for me or I want him to do something for the church. Now, we look at that, and if Jonathan were to find out that man, that's the only reason he took me out to eat, he didn't care about me, he didn't care about how I was doing, he just wanted something from me, we would say that's a very toxic relationship, right? We would say that that's just so manipulative. That's a horrible relationship. But, you know, a lot of times we do the same thing with God. We, we, don't, we don't spend time with God, but yet when trouble happens, it's like we rush into his presence. God, I need you. God, there, man, this, this came up, and God, I really need you to answer this prayer. And I think sometimes God says, well, wait a minute. You, you haven't even, who, who, are, who are you again? You know, I, I, it's been so long since I've spent time with you. And now you're rushing in just with this list of, of demands and things that you want. And see, that's not what, what prayer should be. It's more about the time spent with the person. We should pray because we enjoy conversing uh, with, with the Lord. I think about uh, me and Dakota. Yeah, I just woke you up, didn't I? No. Uh, me and Dakota, we, uh, we try to do this. We, we try to meet every week. And uh, we, go out for, we go out for dinner usually. And meet every week. And it's not, it's not really um, like a discipling relationship. There's no agenda. We're, we're not going through a book together. Um, I'm not sitting there at home before our meeting thinking of, okay, here's what I'm going to talk to about with Dakota. And here's some questions I have for him. It's not that. It's just we meet. 
uh, we eat a meal and we just sit and talk for three hours. Why do we do it? We do it just because we enjoy each other's company. Um, and that's how our prayer life should be with God. That we come to him and, and it's, not, it's not always, God, I want something from you. But it's just, God, I just, I just want to spend time with you. God, I, I, I love you. I have so much to be thankful for. And God, I just want to sit at your feet. And I just, want to, I just want to soak it. I just want to spend time and enjoy my relationship with you. So the purpose of prayer is not so much communication as it is communion. And I think sometimes we've let communication, just getting the words right, get in the way of having an intimate relationship with, with our Father. You see, God is not so much concerned with the words that we're going to say to Him or the requests that we're going to make to Him. I believe what melts the heart of God is that we would just want to spend time with Him. The fact that we would set aside time, that we would schedule time to be with the Lord, I think that's what God loves. And so many of us miss that, you know, if we're honest. A lot of our prayers, if you think about it, they're transactional. Think of the totality of your prayer life. Just think about, you know, what, what is your prayer life like? And some of you may say, well, I don't have a prayer life at all. You know, I don't even ask God for anything. I don't even talk to God. But for those of you that do, what, what is your life like? I think it can be reduced a lot of times to a selfish shopping list of things that uh, we just want to offer up to God on our, to do on our behalf. You know, we might say something like this, Father, you know, I need you to help me pay the rent. You know, we're really struggling this month. And uh, be with Uncle Joe, he's in the hospital. And be with my sister, she's really sick. And be with this or that. And God, help me not to get COVID. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's many times, that's our prayer life, isn't it? That we just come to God and we just ask him for things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray that way. I'm not saying... You know, you shouldn't ask because we are to ask. and We'll get to that in a moment. But here's what I'm saying. Think about how shallow a transactional shopping list is to a holy God who, who, who is infinite, who could do everything in a moment, a powerful God. And here we are just going in, rushing in and asking him for, you know, heal this person, heal that person, help this, help that. You see, prayer is, is more about a relationship than getting the words right. Prayer is, is more about communion, being in the presence of God, than it is about communication. Prayer and petition, in this case, is more about the prayer, okay, the person praying, than it is the prayer or the words. So God just wants to be with you. And, and Paul is, that's what Paul is saying here. If you want to see the hand of God move, start with depending on him. Okay, depend on him, acknowledge him. And then number three, he says, for us to thank God. What's he say in our text? Be careful for nothing. Okay, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. This is how we uh, season our prayers. It's this aroma that's pleasing to the Lord. Basically, what he's saying here is that all of our, our prayer should be seasoned with this attitude of gratitude. That we need to be a grateful people. Here's what Thanksgiving means. That I'm going to pray in such a way that I'm going to accept the outcome regardless of what the outcome is. And uh, what Thanksgiving does is Thanksgiving is really the launching pad to rejoicing that we saw in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Because what you're saying is, God, I'm thankful for how you've worked in my past. God, I'm thankful for how you're uh, taking care of me in the present. And I'm going to trust that you know what's best in the future. And so, again, it's, it's a dependence on him. It's acknowledging him and it's thanking him in the good and the bad. I want to uh, I want to challenge you with something. I'm going to try this as well. Uh, I was talking about it earlier this week with my son Landon, and Landon has already started trying to do this. And he said, "Dad, it's hard. It's really hard to do that." I said, "I know it is, but I want to challenge you uh, for the next seven days. I don't want you to ask God for anything. Okay, when you pray, don't ask Him for anything." Okay, it's not wrong to ask, but just, just for the next seven days, just thank God for everything. Okay, when you pray, just thank God. We're not going to ask Him for anything. And I think as we do this, it's going to reveal just how self-centered our prayers really are. Because I have tried it, and it is hard. It is hard to do. So could we, for the next seven days, just thank God for the good and the bad? Could we thank God today for the struggles in your life? Could you thank him for um, the cancer that he's brought you through or that he's bringing you through? Uh, Could you thank him for never leaving you in the trial that you've been in? Can you thank him for not turning his back on you through an addiction or leaving you through depression or anxiety? Could we thank him for the struggles? And I think this would be just a great place to be in in our prayer life, where uh, everything is saturated with thanksgiving. We have this healthy dependency on God. We're acknowledging that we can't do it ourselves. And then, and I believe only then, can we really make our request to God. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you want your request to reach heaven, you need to have this precursor of depending and acknowledging and thanking. And then we can make our petition. That's number four, that we present to God. Okay, finally, he says here in our passage, let your requests be made known unto God. You see, once you realize that it's all about God, you can't do it without God, you see the handiwork of God, you're, you're, you're thanking God for everything, our, our self-centered prayers are a thing of the past. And, and we move beyond the shallow prayer life to, to a prayer life that taps into the heart of God. And we start to, to see the things that's on God's heart. And God begins to reveal things to us and, and begins to put things on our heart that we're praying for. And, and sometimes uh, that's happened in my life where I'll begin praying things. And I, I, I think sometimes, like, where did that come from? You know, why, why am I praying? Why am I praying for that? And I think a lot of times it's just because it's something that God put on my heart to pray about. And uh, we start to see things that really matter to God. We start to pray in in a way that advances the kingdom of God. Again, I'm not saying that you can't pray for yourself. I'm not saying that you can't pray for someone who's sick. We should, and and we're commanded to in Scripture. We should pray for those things. Uh, What I'm saying is that there's so much more to prayer. There's so much more. Uh, because prayer is not so much about the request that you ask as it is about what God does through the requester. And, and what Paul says is when you go through this fourfold process of praying, that God responds in a way and he gives you something that, that only he can give. Look at it here in our text. 
He's, the Bible says that he gives us peace that passes all understanding. Isn't that amazing? He, he, he begins by saying, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Why does he give us peace? Because we're worried, right? So we, we're not going to worry. We're going to pray. We're going to go through this fourfold process of prayer. And God says, when you do this, when you work your way through this, I'm going to give you a peace that passes all understanding. And notice, it says, and I love this, this peace will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That word keep, that's a military uh, word there. It's an interesting word. It's used by a soldier who is placed outside of the camp to protect those inside the camp from harm. And this is what God is, 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 is saying here. That, okay, are you worried? Don't worry. Pray. And when you pray, I'm going to give you peace. And not only that, but I'm going to keep your heart and mind. I'm going to set, almost, I'm going to set a soldier outside of your life to protect you from all these arrows and all these things that are coming at your life. I love that. That's so, that's so encouraging. And I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd like to have some of that peace. I'd like to know about that peace. But I do know this. The only way to experience the peace of God is to really know the Prince of Peace. And his name is Jesus. And we have to know him. Uh, I think some of us maybe know about him. We've read about him. We, we sing songs about him each week. Um, you know, you may have even opened your Bible this week and read about him. You come to church on Sunday and you hear things about God. But my question to you is, do, do you really know him? Do you know him in an intimate way? Uh, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you hear, here's a question for you. Do you hear the voice of God? Not, not in an audible way, but do you, do you, are you led by the Spirit of God? Do you hear from Him? And for some of you, that's a foreign concept. In fact, some of you may say, oh, I've never heard the voice of God. You know, our, our, um, our house typically is a very noisy house. Okay, a lot of commotion, just a lot of activity. Um, the boys are into gaming, okay? They love their video games. Video games now are so different from when they were when I was a kid. Okay, I grew up with Nintendo, where you put the cartridge in and you have a cord, and you have to sit, you know, on the floor in front of the TV, and you just play by yourself, right? One player. Now all the games are online. And so what we have in our house, we have Landon at the TV, and he's playing, and he has a headset in, okay? And he has a microphone like this. And as you can already tell, when you have a headset on, what happens? You don't really know how loud you're talking, right? So he has his headset on, this mic. He's playing with his friends. Cameron has a handheld with a headset and a mic playing with his friends. Me and Leslie are in the living room trying to watch a show together. They're in there screaming at their friends, playing games. We're turning up the TV. Be quiet in there. You know, it's just an everyday thing. And so you can, you can tell that our house is usually very noisy, right? A lot of them, and Jeff's looking at uh, race, like he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so our house is very loud. Well, 
we, we tried something this year at the beginning of 2022 where we're going to do a 21-day fast as a family. And it's something that we prayed about, we talked about. And so we decided, the four of us, that for the first 21 days, okay, first three weeks of the year, we're going to fast from uh, screens, for electronics, you know, no, no TV, no shows, no movies, no games. We're just going to fast from electronics. So what happened, and it was great. We loved it. We all really loved it. And we played games, board games together. We played card games. We did puzzles. We read books. We just did more things together as a family. But what happened was our house became very quiet for those three weeks. And it was, it was odd at times and kind of uncomfortable. I thought, something's wrong. You know, it's too quiet. Uh, what, are, what are the boys doing? And so because of that, me and Leslie would be sitting in the, the living room, dead quiet. I began to hear noises in our house that I'd never heard before. And I started hearing this vibration sound in the wall, somewhere in our wall, and it was just random, just a random, vi- you know, bzz. then it wouldn't do it for a while. Bzz. I'm like, what is that? It drove us crazy. Then I was ready to go back to TV. Let's drown this thing out. Um, but I remember going, my ear against the wall. Nope, it's not there. Where, what is it? And finally, a few weeks later, it just kind of went away. I haven't heard it. Um, I don't know what it was. But, you know, in that whole process, I, I was thinking, I wonder how, how often I've treated God that way in his word. Where, where I'm, I'm so intent of just listening. God, I'm trying to hear your voice. God, what, what, are, you, what are you saying to me? And, and it really convicted me to think that, you know, that, that really was missing a lot in my life. Because we're, we're all guilty of that. Where our life is just so full of noise and so many distractions that oftentimes we, we don't hear from God. I do love our times in the morning, uh, Leslie and I, we have a morning routine where we, we get up early before the boys uh, are awake and uh, we sit at the dining room table together. We don't, we don't do it together. We have our own Bible reading and things that we're doing, but we're sitting there together and Leslie has her coffee. I don't drink coffee. Um, and we're sitting there and we're just reading the word and uh, doing different things, reading books and devotionals and different things. But I enjoy those times um, because it is in the the quiet of the morning. And uh, I really cherish that time and look forward to it. So let me ask you a question before we leave today. Uh, Did you spend time this week in silence and solitude just to to sit and, and hear and listen for the voice of God? Did you devote any time in your schedule to block out all the other things to really discern God's voice. Because again, I do think that we allow the busyness of life to, to get in the way. And here's what I'd like to challenge you with today. And I know I'm full of challenges today, right? I want to challenge you to, to do this because I believe the Lord will speak to us um, if we really set the time and, and make the schedule to do this. So for the next seven days, I want you to begin your morning with Jesus. Okay, and some of you may say, well, you know, I can't, I just can't do that. Well, maybe you might have to get up earlier. Okay, you might have to just rearrange some things to do this.
But I want to challenge you to do this, okay, every morning for the next seven days. Get, get, get somewhere where it's quiet, somewhere where you might have to lock yourself in the closet. But for the next seven days, you're just going to sit. And again, you're not going to talk about your laundry list of prayer requests because remember, we're not going to ask God for anything. Okay, so for the next seven days, we're going to sit alone with God in his word. We have no agenda. I'm not asking God for anything. But we're just reading and praying and thanking God and we're listening for him. We're listening for his voice. What's he saying? What's he speaking about? And I believe if we do that, God will really bless it. And maybe for those of you that aren't in the habit, some of you are already in the habit of doing that. And that's good. For some of you, you're not. And I pray that God would really use that in your life this week to maybe create some new habits in you and uh, to, to get, for you to get to a place where you'll begin to crave that and really desire to hear from God that way. All right, let's pray together. And um, I just want to say a word about our Easter invitations, and then uh, you guys uh, can be dismissed. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we're so thankful uh, for prayer. I'm thankful that we can enter in, that we have access to you because of your son, Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that you died for us and that you were buried and that you rose again. And God, we, we celebrate that as Christians really every day, but God, we, we get to celebrate that in a more intentional way here in a few weeks. And uh, God, we are just so grateful for who you are.